Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. My name is Julian Carl, CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group, and very happy to share with you that in today's episode of uh, the, the podcast, it's actually a little bit of a first for us. It's the first time that I've had the pleasure and opportunity to interview an Olympic gold medalist. So today I speak with Mark Knowles, who was the captain of the Australian hockey team, Olympic gold medalist, Commonwealth gold medalist, and also was the flag bearer at the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Personally found it really interesting because Mark talks about the importance of standards and how he has a relentless pursuit for being the best uh, he can be. And obviously that really resonated with me because I often talk about the importance as leaders, how we need to raise our standards. So would love to hear what you think. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher, leave a review and uh, happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Well, welcome, Mark, to the, the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to be a part of it. So that the listeners have a little bit of context, are you able to share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, definitely. Thanks very much for having me. Um, my name is Mark Knowles. I've been a player in the national men's hockey team, the Kookaburras, since 2003. I was very, very fortunate and lucky to play at four Olympic Games for the Kookaburras, three World Cups and four Commonwealth Games. Um, I've been part of a, a high-performing team, uh, the number one team in the world for 10 of those 14 years or 15 years. Um, been the captain of the national team as a co-captain since 2009 and uh, the sole captain since 2000, end of 2013. I won the World Player of the Year Award for Hockey in 2014, um, same year that we won the World Cup and the Commonwealth Games. Won four Commonwealth Games gold medals going back to 2006 and and in my last tournament ever, the Commonwealth Games on home soil in April a couple of months ago, I was, I was lucky enough to, and fortunate enough and very proud moment for me to be the flag bearer for, for Team Australia at the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. Um, 11 days later, I won my fourth Commonwealth Games gold medal, my last that I'll ever play um, for Australia. and. And now I'm very, very happy in retirement, um, healthy. I have a young family, a really good job that I love um, that we will speak about, no doubt, a little bit more. But yeah, I'm really, really happy to be to be on the podcast and hopefully the listeners enjoy a, a bit of a different story from my perspective in hockey. To start it off, is there, a, is there an interesting fact that uh, the listeners may not know either about you or about hockey? Well, I'm a, I'm a Rockhampton boy from central Queensland, the beef capital of Australia. Um, grew up playing on, on the grass fields in Rockhampton, very bare and dry grass fields, until I was 17. Came into the national team in 2003 as a very fresh-faced 19-year-old. Probably an interesting fact would be one of the greatest players or the greatest player in hockey, Jamie Dwyer, is also a Rockhampton boy. Um, five times World Player of the Year, and I'm married to his sister. So that's a bit of an interesting fact, I would say. <laughs> okay, great. 
I'd like to take you back, all the way back to your first significant leadership role. Can you give a little bit of context about what that leadership role was? Yeah, probably the first time I thought much about leadership. I was always one of the the captains or the key players of um, representative teams in country Queensland. But I think my first taste um, and understanding of what it was actually like was I was named as the the Australian secondary school boys captain. Um, we played a three-test series against New Zealand in, in Brisbane. And it was the first time I had been in charge or been the leader of a group um, of players who who, you know, I'd played with, I'd grown up against, uh, playing against, and in front of my home family, uh, my home crowd in Brisbane. So that was my first moment of thinking about leadership, if I'm honest, even though I had been captain, as I said, of those, some of those junior representative teams in Queensland. That was the first time I thought, wow, this is a pretty important role for me um, as, the, as the Australian schoolboys captain as a 17-year-old. And were there were there any learnings that you took away from that role? Uh, yeah, there was plenty. And if I'm honest, I don't think I learnt or, or grew into that role quick enough. People told me that I was going to be a good leader and, and I really did want to be a leader. Um, but I think early on I tried to do, and for a large, um, a large proportion of my career, I've tried to do too much. And I thought the captain was someone that needed to do everything. And it wasn't until um, I became far more experienced, I started to think of myself, the game and leadership differently, um, that I was able to relinquish some of those roles to other people. Um, and I think that that'll be something we'll probably get into more as we talk through my role as the national captain for the Kookaburras for such a long time. But even back then, I thought the captain's role was everything. I had to do warm-up. I had to do the media. I had to do, you know, the team talk. I had to do the halftime talk. I had to do the post-game talk. I had to talk to the opposition. I had to talk to the umpires. And that's something that I found really hard as a young and middle-aged leader was to allow others to take some responsibility and to also help in my leadership journey. And what what impacts do you think you had on the on the people around you when you're in that role as you're sort of starting to find your feet as a leader? Well, I think for me, when I grew up, the leaders who I wanted to be like were the leaders who, you know, showed it every day. They led from the front, not normally by what they said, um, although some of them was what they said, but it was more about their actions. So I really tried to um, think to myself that I had to be doing this so other people saw it and I had to be showing other people all the time the way it needed to be done. And if I wasn't doing it, um, you know, then I should have been. And what I think it did, the main part for me was that I don't think it grew other leaders in the team I think they not not deliberately um, but I think they didn't pick up some of the slack because I constantly picked it up myself and there were times where I really needed other leaders and I thought to myself why aren't they doing this and why aren't they doing more but it was actually me who was holding them back because 
even if they took something on and I didn't think it was the right way to do it, I kind of, I came in over the top of them and I just think that it stifled some of the growth in the other leaders and it's a really hard thing to talk about, you know, you only learn these things so late in your career but I wish I would have done things differently and I wish I would have learnt some of these things a little bit earlier because I think we could have got more growth out of other players in in our national squad at that time. Yeah, hindsight is a, a wonderful thing when it comes to leadership. I, I found that the, you, when you look back on your, your leadership journey, you always think, oh, how, why did I ever think that was a good idea? And, and you just I think that experience really yeah. is important. It is, yeah. And I also found that different teams, um, you know, different teams always need different messages and the leadership style for one team or one era won't be the same um, as it is for the next team or, or a different company or a different business or a different group of friends. The way you lead always needs to change and evolve. And I think that's taken me some time to really evolve my leadership with groups and with eras and with different age guys. And yeah, there's hindsight, as you said, it's an amazing thing. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that it was a failure, my leadership, but I've, in the past couple of years, especially, I've seen how I wish I would have done it differently. Was it in that role that you came to the realisation that this whole idea of leadership was something that you wanted to explore further and, and that you wanted to be a leader? Um, yeah, I think the more I got involved in leadership, the more or the higher standing, I suppose, I gained within my team and the hockey fraternity in Australia. And I certainly wanted to be a leader. Um, it's something that I really enjoy is being a role model, being a leader, being someone who people can look to for inspiration, but also for the right way of doing things or or quite often, you know, at least the right approach to it, even though we fail sometimes. The way I go about it is for the right reasons for most of the time. So I have wanted to be a leader and I do enjoy, um, I really do enjoy it. I think, you know, early on in some ways you put in leadership roles. I think at young stages, in, especially in junior sport, it's normally one of the best players or, or the person who's willing to talk at half time. So in some ways you're pushed into leadership as a young guy. For me, I did get a taste of it and the people who I, who I looked up to or who I wanted to be like, they were leaders. So I suppose it was the natural progression for me was that they were the type of people who I wanted to be like, whether that was on the field, off the field, training ethic, you know, buying into hockey in Australia or the way we want it done or the way we want to be perceived. Those guys, I think, inspired me and they were leaders. So that's probably where I got my, that, that was the beacon of light, I suppose, that I followed from an early age in my international career anyway. So you've had your taste of leadership. Let's chat a little bit about uh, what it's like to be the, uh, the captain of Australia. Oh, it's amazing. It's a huge honour, something that I took really seriously in my role on the field, but, but very much offered as well. I understand that the sporting landscape is one that is changing all the time. And, you know, I, I played in a national team that was the number one team in the world, as I said, for 10 years out of the 14 I was in the team. But 
we are we are only the tenth or eleventh biggest sport in Australia. So I understood, or I understand still, that you've got to do the right things all the time off the field as well. Um, you need to be constantly seen to be growing the game, doing the right things by junior development and by your national national organisation as well as your state organisation and your club system. And those were things that I, I'm really passionate about. And as much as my performance on the field is extremely or was extremely important as a leader of that national team, I think it was also the way that I conduct myself in my life away from hockey. You know, I'm a very, very much, I'm a country boy. I'm a very, um, you know, I'm a family, family man, definitely. And I think that provides some balance to a group of young guys coming into a national team who, you know, who see a different type of person daily uh, in my role with my family. And, and then I think I've also put quite a, a significant amount of effort into personal development away from the sport. I was really clear with the guys when I was playing that we needed, you know, to improve our, our lives outside of just being a hockey player every day. And I wanted that out of my teammates, so I had to be doing it myself. Um, and that was really important for me. So being the national captain is so much more than just hitting and trapping, tossing a coin and, you know, doing some media after after a game. It's it's being a really positive person around the group. It's about working with so many different layers from your leadership group to the coaches or assistant coaches to the head coach, the high performance directors, you know, all the way up to the CEOs that, that young guys and mid-tier players just don't, they don't have that, they don't do it. And, and that's the part of leadership for me that I really enjoyed. So I would imagine that there's a lot of pressure which comes that uh, most leaders in, in corporate are faced with, but being a, a captain of a, of a national team in Australia in particular when we're such a sporting nation, how do you find the pressure of that role? Yeah, um, the pressure, I think, is different for me, certainly being a hockey player. We have these large gaps where we go off the radar, um, you know, and then around Commonwealth Games and, and Olympic Games times, we're a medal potential sport, so everybody wants a piece of the hockey. Um, but for the years and the month, and the months in between that, it's, it's fairly quiet. I think the parts of pressure that I felt the most was the real strong connection that our group has and has had for a long period of time, um, you know, continuing to build mateship whilst driving a high-performance culture, um, players around injuries, non-selection, uh, you know, poor, poor performances. And you only have to look to our group um, in Rio at the Olympic Games. Uh, I was the captain of that team and it's, it's a moment that's so hard for me to speak about. We're the number one team. We were so, so much better um, than what we were able to put up on that day. And as a leader, getting knocked out in the quarterfinals, we'd only lost three or four matches in four years and we lost our first two round games and then the quarterfinal and, and bombed out as the number one team in the world. And that, for me, that pressure of, you know, why aren't we performing? What am I doing wrong? Is my message stale? What was our preparation over the last six months like? Why couldn't I get my teammates to a better level? 
what if we would have selected different players? What if we would have played a different different structure? They were the things that I found brought the most amount of pressure, that we were so good. And every player in our group knew it. I knew it. And this isn't a once-off. We've, we've had some disappointing results. And for me, that, that pressure of just trying to get a group to elite performance when it's required, I think that's, that's where the feeling of pressure came in for me was that are we prepared? Are we ready? Is it the right team? Have I done everything? Is my message strong? And I think, you know, on the other side of that, that's absolutely a part of being an elite sports person. There's no excuses for performance and for not doing it when it's required, especially when you're good enough. So it's more just thinking about the tournament and getting ready for it that I think brings the pressure more than the things outside of outside of our game for hockey as a sport. So a fair bit of self-reflection and reflection of performance after those games? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we were also the number one team in 2008 in Beijing where we won bronze. That was a failure for that group. We were also the number one team in the world champions in 2012 in London where... We won bronze again, which was a failure for that group. So for me, there's been so many amazing moments, you know, the Commonwealth Games, the Olympic gold in 2004, the World Cup victories in 2010, 2014. But I'm certainly a person who's driven by my failures and the moments where I wasn't good enough uh, and the moments where I've needed to be better and that's the reflection as much as reflecting on the wins and what you did well. So yeah, certainly those, you know, those past three Olympics, that was, we had three men's hockey teams for Australia who, who were well and truly, well and truly good enough to win three Olympic gold medals in a row. We didn't do that. We got two bronze and a, and a sixth or something. So in general terms, you know, those, those groups are disappointed when you, when you're, sit on the outside an Olympic bronze medal is not a disappointment but when you're in the moment it certainly was for that group so plenty of reflection but I'm getting far better at reflecting <laughs> in the yeah. last three months since I've been retired than I ever was when I played yeah. <laughs> and so would I suppose those bronze medals and then in, in a sixth would have been almost uh, I suppose unfinished business did they did they lead, lead to any any sort of sense of the retirement or was there anything else behind the retirement? Or No, not at all, um, to be honest. After Rio in 2016, I contemplated stopping, but I um, it was for the wrong reasons. It would have been very, very selfish and it would have been um, some sour grapes and some bitterness, uh, which is not not what I wanted and and a moment that I wasn't prepared to give up on. I got to the end of 2017 and I had reignited my love for hockey, definitely, um, after such a difficult period after London, uh, after Rio, sorry, at the end of 2016. What I'd say I'm most well known for is my work ethic. I've just got an absolute hunger and I've always had it to be better and to want more and to do extra. And I just got to a stage at the end of 2017 where I, I just wasn't sure that I would be able to live up to my, my own extremely high standards 
for another period. So I took some time. I had a family holiday over Christmas at Fraser Island. It was absolutely amazing. And I came home from Fraser Island and, yeah, within four or five days, I decided that I just couldn't do it to my own high standards anymore. Um, What an amazing moment it would be for me to be able to play at the Commonwealth Games in front of my family, you know, 30 or 40 minutes down the road from our house, in front of my three kids. And just to finish there, extremely happy, extremely healthy, with a job that I love. So, yeah, honestly, I, I left the game just in an absolutely beautiful place. So, so happy, so healthy. And and at a time where I was completely, completely at ease with the decision. So, I'm three. I'm roughly three months retired, and and I'm I'm really really happy with my decision so far. I'm in a really nice place. You mentioned something there that I'm I'm particularly interested in, in exploring because when we run our leadership training programs, one of the things that we often talk about is that every leader uh, can always continue to raise their standards. I, I, I'd like to know where yeah. where do you think your standards because you mentioned a couple of times about your own personal high standards where, where, where do you think they came from did you develop those over time did you um, see someone else and they inspired you where do you think they came from I think very early on my parents um, they were extremely extremely and still are um, extremely good leaders they were people who had a, a serious you know, work ethic, were extremely disciplined in what they did in their professions. They both played state-level hockey for Queensland and Tasmania, um, but it was away from hockey where I learnt the most through them. I honestly, if you ask people, and people talk to me about this all the time, that I have always been like this, and I don't know whether that's true or not, but I, I do believe, I do believe it. If I think back to myself as a 14 and 15-year-old, having some disappointments or getting injured or not being selected or not having a good training. I I just always wanted to get better, even through schools, you know, where people would run that last sprint and then fall over on their hands and knees. I would see people like that and, and I would do another two sprints deliberately just to show them that it wasn't that hard. So I've always been a person who, who's been like this. It certainly, definitely has rubbed you know, my teammates and people the wrong way sometimes when I constantly ask them to do more. But I ask, I honestly ask them to do more because that's what I, that's what I feel like I'm doing and that's what I've always done. So it's a really interesting one. I, I wouldn't say there was any moments that changed me, even even when I played poorly or even when I had a bad session or uh, we'd lost a game, I would, you know, I would come home and I would go and do extra, you know, I'd go and do extra video work if I didn't feel clean enough in my mind or if I wasn't sharp enough before a tournament, I'd do extra training on my own. And as I said, it has rubbed people the wrong way, like fitness trainers and, and coaches and things where, you know, they, they worry about overdoing it. And I have overdone it a few times, if I'm honest. But yeah, it's just been there, and I just I love it. Um, you know, even now, and when I'm retired, I, I retired, and a week after I finished, I started training for a half marathon. Finished the half marathon at the Gold Coast a couple of weeks ago, and 
Now I'm doing a charity bike ride through the Victorian Alps in November. I want to run a marathon in New York. Um, there's just there's things that I just love. I just love love challenging myself to what I can actually achieve. And so, in in the role as captain, what do you think your your biggest learnings were that you'll you'll take into your, the next stage of your life? Uh, the biggest learnings I would say have come in the last four years, where I've matured as a person, but also as a you know as a player and a leader. I think if I was to summarise a couple of points, I would say to um, relinquish some of the power. Don't feel like I need to do everything. Uh, and I'm finding that's really valuable now in my working environment as well. Second thing would be that you need to actually listen. And I was very poor at listening to other people, either their opinions or their stories or their views. Um, and I've become much better at listening to people and actually taking the time to, to make them feel important and, and needed. So that would be one to listen to listen and listen intently and and just listen without having to talk. And probably the third one for me is that no matter where we are in our journey, we don't know everything. And I certainly thought I knew everything about, you know, about hockey and leadership, but but I, you know, I'm much better at knowing now understanding that I didn't and I don't. And I think that will help me in my life moving forward. One last question before we move on to, to to what you're doing now is, I think I know the answer, but I'll ask anyway, why hockey? Uh, my parents, they were both, as I said, they were both state-level players for Queensland and Tasmania. My uncle played high-level hockey. I had an older brother, older sister who were playing. Um, it was such, or it is such a big family sport still in Rockhampton in the countries or country areas. I absolutely loved it. I started when I was four years old and I've never stopped. Um, my, my son started playing when he was four. I've got another three, three-and-a-half-year-old who can't wait to start playing. Um, so very much a family sport for me. Yeah, I was lucky, if I'm honest, in growing up in the country um, that they weren't, we weren't spoiled for choice as sports. You know, there's rugby league, hockey, and, and there was cricket in the summer. They were the big, they were the big sports in Rockhampton. So in some ways, you know, I was I was in it because it was there, but mainly my parents. And you said we it's the tenth or eleventh biggest oh. sport in Australia. Is it, is it is it growing significantly? I wouldn't say it's growing. I think hockey's at a a certain point, like a number of sports. The sporting landscape is complex, I would say, and we're um, fighting to always keep numbers to remain relevant. I'd say hockey's standing, you know, standing still. I think one of the biggest challenges that we that we haven't faced traditionally in the last 10 to 15 years is the females. Um, hockey was always one of the biggest female sports in Australia and we were so successful. The women won gold at the Olympics in 88, 96, 2000 and we grabbed a large portion of females. Now, you look at the the sporting landscape for young ladies. There's rugby sevens. You can play at the Olympics. There's cricket. There's AFL women. Um, there's the netball competition. There's basketball. Um, whatever I've, you know, there'd be a number of others that I've missed. But we're we're fighting um, with those sports now to keep young females. Um, the men's game, 
remains remains about similar, I'd say. Numbers playing boys and men's. I think that's a real challenge for the national teams in Hockey Australia is you have to continue to grow the game from grassroots, but you also need to remain successful at the top. People want to be involved with high-performing elites and, and sports that win, unfortunately, in Australia. That's our landscape. We want to be winners. And that's one of the parts of playing for the Cookers that I absolutely loved. Whenever we went out to play, whether it was a Four Nations, uh, you know, playing in Rockhampton or Shepparton or Bendigo or somewhere, or we're playing at the Commonwealth Games or the Olympics, we played at the absolute same standard all the time because we know that this is our moment to shine and you don't get that many playing for Australia. Yeah. So you've had some uh, experience in leadership in a, in a pretty unique field. Can you explain to the listeners now what you're doing? Yeah, um, so in June last year, June 2017, I started working at the Queensland Academy of Sport in personal development unit. Basically, it's the really holistic approach to athletes and what they're doing in their journey or away from their direct training and competition. So very much working in the community, corporate, well-being, mental health and well-being space um, with, the, with the athletes on their personal, personal development and personal journey. So it's something I'm really passionate about is we, we always want to make better athletes, you know. We're trying to make these athletes who are great, but um, I want to make better people as well. And I think out of making better people, we will get better athletes, not let's make them the best athletes in the world and then hopefully they become good people. Um, so I, I love my job. I was working three days a week while I was competing uh, in the national team. I've started full-time straight after Commonwealth Games when I retired and working with Queensland's absolute elite lead athletes. We have 23 sports at the academy, 400, between 450 and 550 athletes at any one time. Um, so it's kind of my I remain I'm remaining relevant in elite sport without having to do all of the training and and competition they're doing. So I absolutely love it at the moment. I'm working in sports that aren't hockey, so I'm very much at a, a new stage where I don't know everything. Um, but that also excites me each day when I go to work. I'm learning new things. I'm learning about different sports, different programs, how different coaches go about it. So, yeah, really, really interesting at the Queensland Academy of Sport. Is that a uh, is that a normal type of, or I shouldn't say normal, but is that a unique approach in terms of what we do with our athletes and this focus on their, their personal development and making them better people? Is that sort of something that all the state-based academies have taken on board or is that a Queensland initiative? Uh, I think it's becoming more... Um, more relevant, definitely. Uh, we're getting there's more coming down from the AIS, certainly as the governing, you know, the governing body to make um, athlete well-being um, and better, better athletes or better people, better athletes more regularly. Whether all of the states are doing it the same, I don't know, but we certainly have a really great um, team at the QAS that are focusing on this and. That hasn't always been the focus. We've had a really strong focus on career and education. So we went through the, the strong university in finding athletes' jobs. 
suppose the next phase now is this um, really important part of well-being and what what part that plays in the athlete's journey and how they see themselves as people, not just as athletes. And and I'm someone who's 100% in line with that. And and in some ways, having a current or or very close to current athlete working there provides us with a, a closer relationship with the athletes, I would say. So you're very much providing that 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 leadership through your experience, and then and then using it to influence those athletes that you're working with. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think that's why I'm, I've got really, really good buy-in from my sports because um, these athletes who I walked with at the Commonwealth Games three months ago, uh, now I'm working with them. These are absolute premium athletes who. They might be 20 years old or they might be 25 years old or they might be 30 years old. And I've been in every situation most likely that they are in or have been in. So I think the um, yeah the connection between some things they're experiencing and what I have done over my 15 years as a as an elite athlete, I can I can relate to all of those. So. We have a really good team where we, yeah, where we're working on different things together. You know, we're working on a better system for apprenticeships, for example. We're working on a much higher level um, leadership program for our elite, our premium athletes, not just our emerging leaders program. We're working a lot with the corporates to gain, you know, internships and work experience for for athletes. These are things that we haven't traditionally done as much, but we feel is the way forward for these young athletes to show them that there is more to their sport than just, you know, hitting and trapping or just swimming more laps or just uh, lifting more weights or just running more, you know, sprinting more sprints. There's more to it. We, we feel like this holistic approach of these, you know, really well-rounded athletes can also be very, very powerful. And that part is what I just love. I just see, uh, I just see so much to the to the elite sporting um, lifestyle that is is more than just on field or in pool. Uh, there is so much more to the journey. And I think you know the battle is always when you're in it, and when you're really in it and competing hard, there there seems like there's nothing else, or you think there's nothing else. But what we what we are finding and what we are seeing more is that there is more to it and athletes can have more than just their sport. They can still study. They can still do work experience. They can still do community engagements. They can still work at children's hospitals. They can still speak at, uh, you know, events and functions. They can still have work experience and placements and internships. So we're seeing that more and more. What are you learning about yourself as a leader in this in this current role? Uh, I'm leading. Uh, I'm learning. Sorry, that similar to what I thought. Um, what I thought that I don't know everything about the sporting journey, but also about the people who um, I either used to just train with, or that I would see on social media, or you would walk with them once at an opening ceremony of the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games. There's so many layers to people. So I'm learning that, that the journey for all athletes and all people who I work with is very, very different. Uh, and that's from being young to having families to 
being injured to having to deal with disappointments of non-selection to losing their jobs to you know to family member issues so I'm finding or I'm learning that there's so many layers to to life that even when I was an athlete I just had no idea about I'm also learning that it's really valuable to continue to make connections in different sports and different areas and different spaces some of the things that I'm doing now, like I'm working with diving, I'm working with gymnastics, I'm working with kayaking and I'm working with swimming. These are people and places and structures that I would never have thought I would have been involved in. So I'm learning learning those things every day, uh, which, as I said, when I go to work, uh, when I was the captain of the national team, very, very rarely would I go to work and not know what was going to happen that day or not know how to solve it. Now I'm going to work and I'm having to deal with things that I don't know about and I don't know how to solve daily. Uh, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. So I wouldn't mind exploring some of your more general views on leadership, if we can. And I want to start off with... Yeah, sure. What's the, what's the biggest leadership myth that you think exists? that the best player should be the captain. I'll put that in a sporting, I'll put that in a sporting sense, um, that the best person or the most experienced player, the best player should be the captain. I think that's a myth. And I've seen that firsthand in other, in the teams that I've played in, that that's not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily need to be true. In a general business or corporate leadership system, I would say the person who's been there the longest doesn't need to be the top dog or, or the biggest leader. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned a couple of times that uh, you're, you've been recognised for your work ethic. Do you think that's one of the leadership traits that you display and that you cultivate? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think that's uh, work ethic, that willingness to do more, the want to do more and to never be satisfied. I was someone who was constantly, constantly trying to improve. And if I ever felt like I was playing well, I would look for something else to improve. So I would improve my fitness. When I felt that I was fit enough, I'd want to get faster. When I was fast enough, I'd want to be a better captain. When I thought I was the best captain, I'd watch other leaders. When I'd watched other leaders, I'd talk to other leaders. When I when I drained the, the sporting landscape, I went to business, um, you know, for ideas on how to lead. So I, I think that would be what I would be most well, well known for in the hockey circles. And, and thinking about the role that you're doing now, do you think that work ethic and commitment to that allows you to get the most out of the people that you're working with? I think so. I'm constantly asking questions. I think the people who I'm working with can see that I'm not satisfied uh, you know very regularly when I when I feel like I've got an answer I, I, I feel like there's something more to it or I dig a little bit deeper uh, when I ask them a question it's normally followed up by a second question so I think they're seeing some of my work ethic and how I help you know it's not too much for me to to go to a couple of programs a day it's not too much for me to go on the weekends for a school um, for a school visit it's not too much for me to go and do 
you know, charity events. Um, so I think, yeah, the group uh, and my general work group, it is a, it's in a sporting and elite, elite sporting landscape. So in some ways they understand that there is hard work constantly by the athletes coming in. But I think, uh, and from the comments I'm getting, they are seeing, seeing it from me uh, firsthand, which maybe they haven't seen for quite a while with a, a very current athlete. Okay. And what would you say your biggest leadership challenge is uh, right now? Uh, I think the biggest leadership challenge for me is working out my own personal position of where I want to get, uh, where I want to be, how long that will take, the steps that I can, or the steps that I need to take to get there. Um, some of those things, when I think about that in a sporting sense, it's quite planned out. You know, when you're 20, you want to make the national squad. Then you want to play at the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games. Then you want to get to 50 or 100 games. Then you want to be one of the, the best players in the squad. Then you take up a leadership position and you want to work with other leaders. Then you become, you know, more comfortable with the coaches. Then you do more media it's quite easy, I would say, to see the end goal, or I found it quite easy in in the hockey sense to see my end goal and where I wanted to be and who I wanted to who I wanted to be and how I was going to get there. In the business now world, the corporate world, something that's different, I don't I don't quite understand the steps of where I may go. I don't know how long you have to stay in a role to get to a new role. I don't know all of the experience required to, you know, for example, to become a high performance director, and then how many, you know, how much experience does a high performance director need before they become the, you know, the executives and the high, you know, the the GM and CEO and all of those kind of things. So that's the part that I'm learning the most about, it, or I'm, you know, intrigued about. I suppose is where it goes from here. You know, I knew my hockey journey was going to finish at some point in my early to mid thirties. That's that's what happens. I don't know where my work journey goes now. So that's that's interesting for me in my leadership, but life in general. And I'd imagine that as a as an elite athlete, you could measure your success in some ways by you know gold medals or or, or performance and things like that. As a as a leader now, you know, finding your way in the corporate world, any ideas how you're going to measure your success? Not completely just yet. I think uh, what I will do, uh, and I have started to do more and more, is lean on people for for feedback and for advice, um, but but to also continually touch base with people to you know to ask them is this the way they like things done what more can I do so in some ways um, as you say you know I, I rated my leadership on the team that I went away with how connected we were the feeling amongst the team in the hotel how we sung our team song uh, whether we could stay connected and and really enjoy our journey for four weeks on a tour I don't know how that how that fits. So I'm going to be searching out far more, um, far more feedback and far more advice on programs and sports and my performance than, than I would have um, in another sense. One of the things I believe that all 
leaders need to make a bit of a bit of a focus, and my experience tells me that many don't, is the importance of networking. What what, what are your views on networking? Extremely, extremely important. I didn't understand it definitely until I made a really conscious decision in 2014. I'd taken over as the national captain at the end of 2013. We won the World Cup in what was just an unbelievable performance for a team coming off the back of such disappointment in London two years earlier at the Olympics. We won the World Cup 6-1 over in the Netherlands. The performance of our team was something that may probably has never been seen before and may not be seen again how how good we were, how um, how amazing we were able to be during that tournament on and off the field. I won player of the tournament there, so I really gained some confidence out of my captaincy and my leadership roles. A month later, we went to the Commonwealth Games and won the Commonwealth Games, my third Com Games. And a couple of months later, I won um, the World Player of the Year. So I, uh, it was really, really important for me at that time to think about uh, what was next and where I go as a person, not just as an athlete. I was 30 years old. I just had a three-year-old son. We just had another one um, on the way at the end of that year. And I made a really conscious effort that I needed to make more connections, to do more things away from hockey and just everything that I know. So I really did make a conscious decision at the end of or the end of 2014 that I needed to um, network far better, and I've been quite proactive in that. It's something that I really enjoy. I love community. I love guest speaking. I love the corporate business um, world. I feel like I've got a story that people can resonate to in my general, uh, in my general country, you know, my country boy way, I suppose. And I'm very proud of that, being able to, you know, grow up in the country and to play for Australia at the Olympics and, you know, to play overseas. I played five years over in Europe, five years in India. So I feel like there's a number of things that, make networking really important for me. And how do you continue your development as a leader? Well, I think the first point is when I speak to people is that I don't know everything about everything. So for me, that's that's just the, that's the first starting point is when you don't know everything about everything, you just have to learn. You have to continue to find new ways to be inspired, find new people to inspire you. Um, so there's a range of different things that there's a range of different things that I'm working on all the time learning from other athletes at the moment learning from people who are above me now in work Um, I haven't had that many people above me for a long time um, being the national captain so now I have such a huge range of people who are above me um, so I want to learn from them and I think just being open to and willing to take that on I'm not I'm not someone who thinks I'm the king I'm very very grounded in how I go about it and and I actually want to learn so I think that makes that makes me a person who can learn because I am open to it and I'm willing to try different things and to hear different ways and any particular goals that you've set for the for the coming year or so no, in general, no. Um, the most important thing for me was to repay the faith that the Queensland Academy of Sport had put in me, um, allowing me to work three days while I was competing, 
you know, I, I, I got a full-time position when I retired, which I'm extremely happy with. Um, so really, for me, 2018 was very much a settling year. I know that the transition phase for athletes can be quite difficult. Um, so I wanted to put some things in place just to um, generally um, not just get by, but to continue to thrive. And for me, I'm trying to thrive in my work, but also in my family and, um, you know, my career and my fitness and doing different things. So I feel I'm probably a little bit too busy at the moment for for what my wife thought retirement was going to be like. Um, <laughs> but I'm just trying to continue to grow and thrive like I have for the last 15 years to challenge myself in all different ways. I've got such a nice stream of of parts to my life with my family. I'm a coaching director for my hockey club. I'm an ambassador for Hockey Queensland. I'm doing my coaching tickets, you know, through hockey. I'm working at a job that I love. I'm running a leadership program. I'm doing corporate and, and business um, guest speaking roles. I'm working a lot in community uh, and charity. So I have a pretty nice stream of stream of things that keep me very, very grounded. And what, what challenges do you think that uh, your industry sector is, is going to face? Uh, I think the thing with the Academy of Sport at the moment, um, if I talk in, in my job um, at the moment, is how we remain relevant. That's a big thing in personal development or personal excellence. We, um, we're we moving very much, as I said, into an athlete well-being and engagement space where there's a lot more focus on um, the well-being of athletes and, and the people that we're trying to make. But with our industry, uh, we also have elite athlete-friendly universities, for example, um, who are all providing these similar um, similar types of programs for their athletes at universities. We also have all of the national sporting organisations and the state sporting organisations who understand that athlete well-being is very important and personally or personal personal development of their athletes is very important. So we're just we're just trying to continue to strive um, to be relevant and to show that where um, we are a very big organisation who looks after the elite of the elite in Queensland um, and we are here to support the programs, the sports uh, and the athletes as much as possible. And in some ways that makes, that makes it really exciting that we're getting, um, we're getting great buy-in from, as I said, the universities but also the sports uh, in terms of what we can provide and what we can assist with. I think that's the biggest challenge for us as an organisation is yeah, remaining relevant and how do we do it? What's what's going to be relevant and important for athletes in five to ten years? That's that's what our that's what our boss has thrown down to us as a challenge. Are there any leaders that you either look up to or that inspire you? Oh, a range. So many. I'm I'm someone who's as I said, inspired in different ways at different times. Um, I think the people who inspired me early on were certainly just athletes. Michael Voss was my idol when I grew up, you know, coming through the Brisbane Lions in that premiership era. That was the type of person who I, you know, in some ways I was, you know, like that, a little bit crazy like Vossie, but just the way that he could bring a team together and inspire by 
not always what he said, but by his actions, he was the first um, the first kind of role model or person who inspired me. It was at that time where I was 17, 18, 19 years old and I was looking to go through the roof. So he was the first one. Now I'm really inspired by different leaders in different fields. I think there's so many um, very powerful females who are doing doing great jobs and I think we're becoming a far uh, more balanced society I would say in terms of how uh, how we go about who our idols and who our role models are so I love reading stories about you know females who are doing great things in sport and business uh, and then there's a, the obvious links for me um, are the sporting people who from other codes who um, continue to push boundaries and to do different things, for example, Steve Waugh, he's a guy, I'm a cricket, you know, a cricket fanatic, but he's a guy who I absolutely, absolutely loved growing up in my mid-20s and I'm, I'm doing it, the Steve Waugh uh, Foundation charity bike ride with Steve in November. So for me to link some of, you know, my absolute idols and <laughs> my absolute inspirations with getting to a position in my career where I've even, uh, even being thought about or spoken about or invited to to things like these um, make me really put it into perspective of, I suppose, you know, the type of person who, who I always wanted to, who I always wanted to become, no doubt, um, but you never know if you'll get there. And in some ways, this is, I think, a reward for a lot of that hard work I've put in. Where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing now? Where should they go? LinkedIn, Instagram, um, those kind of social media streams I'm really active on. I, I love keeping up with, with people. I love networking. I love showing people that my life is not just a hockey player. So, you know, there's a lot of... There's a lot of interaction there with my friend, uh, my friends, my family, my sponsors. Things that things that are make me happy, I suppose. Um, LinkedIn is always, you know, important for me because as we just spoke about the networking. It's a way that I can continue to, in some ways, promote and grow. You know, the brand that I've worked so hard to create for the for the young kids and for for people, myself and Jamie Dwyer have our own coaching business where we're traveling around Australia um, fairly regularly giving coaching clinics for eight to 18 year old kids. That's really my, that's my give back to hockey. That's my inspire the next generation. You know, and we talk a lot in the cookers about leaving the Jersey in a better place. I would say that I did my absolute, absolute best to do that. And, you know, I would think I was pretty successful in the way I handed um, the jersey on and left it um, but there's more now there's inspiring this next generation I was inspired by guys back in the 80s and I want people to be inspired you know by the current crop I want more young kids playing hockey so there are a few streams you know that I'm fairly active on um, but anytime you can always yeah find you know find me I reply to everything I love talking um, I love interacting with different people at different times in completely different fields. So it's a very, very nice time of my life now to be still excited and interested in learning so much more about things. Any last words on leadership? Oh, no, I don't think so. I think just to continue to 
find ways for yourself to um, to improve, to move with the times, and to um, interact with different different people, different groups, different ages. That's an important thing for me. As I said earlier on, I certainly thought for a while that I knew it. Um, you get to a stage where you understand that you are completely wrong and so far from the mark. But you have to put a lot of work into relationships. Leadership is very, very relationship-driven, I feel. And you have to work hard for those relationships. You have to build them. You have to spend time. You have to listen. Um, I think everything that most leaders will know, but the part I would say that you know I am most proud of was that I got to that stage where I knew that I had to start doing some of this, um, but I actually put some time and effort into it. I didn't just say, yeah, I know I need it. I actually did it. And that amongst all of um, all of the other things I was able to do, that moment in my career where I was able to actually hear that I needed to change, know that I needed to change and actually do something about it makes me really proud. Um, so I would say just continue to look for those moments where you either surprise yourself or you know you know in yourself that you need to make some small changes. Awesome. Well, Mark, thanks so much for being part of the podcast. All the best. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me and I look forward to chatting again soon. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.